Good evening. In the very beginning of our time together this evening, I want to read two verses that will serve as an introduction to our study. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, there is that familiar discourse of Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the concluding statement, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In all of human history, from the very beginning to the present time, there has never been any teacher as effective, righteous, and perfect as Jesus Christ. And I will add, I have no anticipation there will ever be any teacher on earth comparable to Jesus Christ. There is his deity, his character, his strong sense of purpose, his absolutely perfect motivation all the time. His knowledge of the subject matter, his genuine love for people, everything about him made him the master teacher, and in this case, astonishing the people who listened to him. He was one who was teaching them not as their scribes, but as one with authority. Now, What if Jesus could be here with us right now? What if Jesus could be right here with us today, tonight even, at this hour? I want us to consider that and explore that for a few moments. Because I know that there are people today who have questions and issues and problems they face, subjects they're confused about, things we don't know what to do about. We have questions. We need answers. What if Jesus could be here right now to address those concerns that we might have? What would Jesus say? I want us this evening to take up four subjects. We could take up hundreds, but we're going to take up four subjects and our approach will be to use Scripture to focus on what Jesus would say if he were literally here with us today. Because of our faith, that is a stretch, we believe he is in heaven at the right hand of God. There is a fellowship, a presence with us that we acknowledge and we cherish but what if Jesus could be here physically, personally speaking to us? What would he say about these subjects? Salvation. What are we talking about? What do we mean when we use that word salvation? 
I think the subject biblically could be understood in terms of problem, solution, and response. The problem is sin. The solution is Jesus died for us. The response is to become a Christian and to be a Christian. But now, those are the elements of the Word. Let's hear from Jesus. What would he say on this subject if he were here with us tonight, speaking directly to our questions about the subject of salvation? First of all, I believe in keeping with those three elements of the Word, I think he would identify the problem clearly. He would speak clearly about sin as our problem. We're in Matthew. I'm going to go over to chapter 15 for a moment. Chapter 15 in Matthew, beginning at verse 18. And here's the introduction contextually. The religious leaders of his day placed obsessive emphasis on ritual. Even washing their hands in an exactly prescribed way according to the rabbis and what the rabbis added to the Old Testament law. And as this obsession and tradition was taught by the rabbis and perpetuated, many lost good perspective about what the real problem is. There are actually Orthodox Jewish people even to this day maybe in this country, certainly in Israel, who when they wash their hands will count the number of times the water passes over their hands. They're ritualistic about that. Jesus was addressing their obsession with such things in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, when he said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles the person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashing hands does not defile Anyone. So I think if Jesus were here with us today speaking directly to us about salvation, it is realistic to think he would use words like this to identify that which proceeds from the heart that takes us away from God. He would call it sin as he did then. As to the solution... There is a single statement in Matthew 26, 28 that his blood was poured out, his life was given for the forgiveness of sin. So Jesus spoke to the problem and the solution. Now, if Jesus were here today, would he call upon people to respond? He would tell us to respond, to apply the solution to our personal problem of sin repentance 
was one of the first words Jesus spoke after his baptism. Matthew 4, 17. And then he said, you're familiar with this in Mark 16, 16, believe and be baptized. If Jesus were here on the podium today to preach to us on the subject of salvation, isn't this what he would say? There is no doubt. Because this is what he's already said that is written for us and our learning and our response today. By reading scripture, we are able to know what Jesus would say if he were here with us literally today. Let's do that again. On the subject of worship, so much confusion and perversion in our day on this subject of worshiping God. In our modern culture, in many churches and religious venues, worship has become a form of entertainment. It is not about God, though His name may come up. It is not about praising Him according to His Word and what He said about how He desires to be praised. It is not about submission to His will or reverence for Him or honoring Christ. Today, in many places, it is popular to redefine and reformat worship to cater to the eyes and ears of men, making it entertaining <clears throat> to bring in the crowds, making it fun, exciting, attractive to a culture that prefers the secular over the spiritual. It can be said that people want talent, not truth. They want upbeat rock music, not scriptural hymns. They want stand-up comedy, not gospel preaching. They want sentimentality that neglects spiritual need as defined by God in His Word. It is troubling. And for the weak, it is tempting to be attracted to common, carnal entertainment and then just put the worship label on it. So what would Jesus have to say about all of this if He were here today? And we said, Jesus, speak to us about worship. I think this is what he would say. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now right away I want you to look at what Jesus said in that expression, true worshipers. You don't want to be a false worshiper, do you? True worshipers. And what is implied in that and packaged into that is not all worship is true worship. Not all worshipers are true Worshippers, Well, Jesus, would you tell us, what is the Father seeking? He's seeking true worshipers. Well, Jesus, tell us, what does that mean? It means worship in spirit and truth. And if you want to know what that means, some of you know what I'm going to say. Just 
Keep reading. From John 4, 23 and 24 to the rest of the New Testament. If Jesus were here today and he visited one of the contemporary worship events and they shut down the rock band and got quiet and let him get up and speak, what do you think he would say? I think it would, in essence, be this. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It means our worship is directed to God from the inner man and is according to the truth he has revealed about how he desires to be worshipped. When I go to a football game, I expect there to be talking and yelling and cheering and excitement about the competing teams. When I visit a doctor's office, I expect a professional clinical atmosphere. And it's also good for them to be on time. When I go to an attorney's office, I don't expect a guy dressed like a surfer playing the guitar and showing movies. When I go to worship, I want God to be the center of attention. I want to hear His Word, sing praise to Him, remember Jesus and do all that with decency and order and reverence for my edification and for the praise and glory of God. I think if Jesus were here today talking to us about all of this, Matthew, uh, John 4, I should say, John 4, 23 and 24 would virtually be repeated. If Jesus were here today, I think there is little doubt that among the subjects that would come up, there would be marriage. I'm opening to Matthew 19. And I will say to you, as I introduce this section in Matthew 19, it would be hard to imagine, I think even 20 years ago, that today... One of the hot-button topics in our society would be the definition of marriage. The definition of marriage. Or should there even be marriage as the relationship from which children are born and raised and nurtured? Those are the questions that you hear out in the world. I heard... Somebody say the other day that the rights of gays to marry is the civil rights issue of the day. Could you have imagined that 20, 30, 40 years ago? The forces of big government and media are putting pressure on us to change our convictions. Or at least be silent about male-female relationships according to the Bible and what marriage is as defined by the one who made us. There are secular operatives who want the minds of our children on their side. There are Christians who own small businesses who may be forced out of business because of this powerful social lobby determined to redefine marriage and ask us to celebrate whatever they can think up in their minds. 
If Jesus were interviewed by MSNBC, if he appeared on 2020 or 60 Minutes, if Jesus stood before us physically tonight up here, what would he say? What would he say? Matthew 19, starting at verse 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And, verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you believe. And no social lobby or media pressure leads you into any compromise. We hope and pray government will never punish us for saying, believing, and applying what Jesus said. But there are operatives and men who aspire to high political office who are saying that very thing this past week. But if they do, if the government winds up punishing us for what we believe, teach, and practice from Matthew 19, my hope and prayer is we're going to continue teaching and preaching what Jesus said. We know what Jesus would say today because he's already said it and we believe it. What would he say about the church? I'm going this time to Matthew chapter 16 and I'm going to find verse 18 and then I'm going to go to another place after that. There's so many varieties of ideas and practices in vogue today on this subject. Many people think that the church is simply all the denominations. Others believe it simply doesn't matter that the church is a relic of a previous age. It is especially popular today for people to think they can be Christians, please God, without a local church in their life or without any kind of identification. What would Jesus say? If he stood before us literally today and he spoke on this subject, here's one thing I know he would say. I tell you, he said to Peter, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, what about local groups? That's the church as a whole in Matthew 16, 18. What about local groups? All who are truly following Christ compose the church at large, universally. But what did Jesus conceive of collectively or locally? I'm going to turn a few pages. And I'm headed to Matthew chapter 18. And when I get to Matthew 18, I'm looking for verses 15 through 17. 
I think this is what he would say. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let's think carefully here. Does this mean when there is a conflict as described here, I must round up every Christian in the world and convene a meeting? It says here in verse 17, if it reaches that level, tell it to the church. How can I do that? How can I convene a meeting with the universal church? I can't. So what is assumed here and implied clearly and necessarily? Jesus assumes what the book of Acts later confirms, that Christians in their locations form local churches. These local churches function in a number of ways according to the instruction in the New Testament, but without even leaving the book of Matthew, we know what Jesus would say about the church in its universal relationship and locally, we know what he would say because he said it. He said it already. So let's bring Jesus into a contemporary discussion that goes on on social media daily. It is popular today through various media for people to say something like, I'm a Christian, but I don't do church or I don't need church. What is being claimed here is that you don't need others and you don't need to attend to what Jesus and the inspired writers of the New Testament described as a local church. You don't need what Jesus set up. We need to bring Jesus into all these discussions about these subjects. Jesus, what do you do? What do you say? He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. What about a local group? Jesus assumes the existence and the value of a local church when he says, in these cases, tell it to the church. It's right here. Matthew 16, 18, and Matthew 18, 15 to 17. The whole point of this is, we know this is what Jesus would say today because he is saying it today. He is saying it today through the written word. So, be turning back to that passage I started with in Matthew 7. <clears throat> we could continue tonight with subject after subject after subject. And if we stayed here, we would discover truth after truth after truth. <clears throat> All of it connected from the only perfect teacher to address men and women on earth. And he is still addressing me and addressing you 
every time we open this book. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, the question would be, are you living your whole life according to the authority of Jesus Christ? It is the way to get out of the bondage of sin. It is the way to reverence God, your creator, in the way he is directed. It is the way to be best equipped in all your attitudes and relationships. It's the way to live, and it's certainly the way to die. Jesus said very simply, He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. Why not tonight as we stand together to sing? Pray. Bread.